Honestly, after missing my favorite podcast of all time. Okay, we are back. We took a little one-week break, had some things that we needed to iron out, have some fun, but we are back. We are three-quarters way to 100. This is episode 75, the Scott Alexander episode. Um, he's a new guy in the Dodgers, but you know, we got to show him love. We got to show him love. He's a new lefty reliever, and we know Sully loves relief pitching. He was one, and Sully, by the way, part of the reason why we didn't have an episode last week is because there were some moves being made. Sully is now in a new location, and why don't we let him tell us a little bit more about his new move. Yeah, before we really get into the whole move here, I'm out in Kansas now, just to preface that, but I'd like to show some love to Paco Rodriguez, another former Dodger, lefty reliever who wore 75, who, you know, basically when Scott Alexander started the season, they looked the same. And Paco hasn't actually been up and back in the majors uh, since he was on the Dodgers, but I just want to show him love. Um, So from there, yeah, I'm now in Topeka, Kansas, the capital of Kansas, which is in between Manhattan, where K-State is, and Lawrence, where KU is, about an hour from Kansas City. So I would definitely call it an upgrade from Wyoming, although I loved my time out there, and I loved all the people I met. Um, I now am a weekend anchor, which is cool. I get to be in the studio, and I talk only about sports now. I don't have to do any news anymore. Um, So it's been wonderful so far. You know, I'm at KSNT. Uh, so shout out, shout out, and uh, if, I'll just leave it at if you want to watch me online, do any newscast. We have a live stream, and I'll be anchoring shows on Saturday at 6, 9, and 10 Central Time. Blow up. And Sunday, 5, 9, and 10 Central Time. Blow up. So that's, uh, well, you can do the math to Pacific or Mountain or East Coasters. I don't know where everyone's listening from. Even internationally, I'm sure it's available. But yeah, thanks for the intro, guys. I'm happy to be out here. But I'm, you know, even more excited to be back on the pod and get this thing rolling for episode 75. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you mentioned there was obviously the international audience that we have. You know, uh, I can't tell you specifically. I feel like we have some Swedish. Probably I'm just throwing some countries out there, but um, Canada for sure. They're going to be very excited to hear about what you got going on there in Kansas. Uh, I mean, you got a really nice position there. I mean, you were over there at Media Day for not only KU, but K-State as well, talking to a legend in uh, Coach Snyder over there. So it was exciting to see, but definitely go check that out whenever you can. I didn't even know you had the stream, so I'm excited right now. Um, it's going to be a good time. Yeah, yeah, we are very excited for you, Sully. Um, one thing, though, that's a little bit tragic, a little bit sad about the whole move is no longer on Twitter are you Sully. You switched the Twitter handle to Sully KSNT. Well, we actually, first of all, we had a short-lived Sports with Soul, which I was really enjoying. I saw that. I saw that. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, it's a big thing at the station to be branded and all that stuff. So that was a switch, although I did like Sports with Soul. Um, Sully KSNT isn't bad. Uh, You know, it's pretty generic, but it is what it is, and it it helps get the word out there. But, yeah, R.I.P. Saleh, that was my Twitter handle from the inception of my Twitter. Yep. I I can briefly remember, you know, setting it up, and and if you don't know much about my Twitter history, I was a hater at first, but I'm also grandfathered into Twitter because I started in 09, which is, uh, you know, far before many of the kids that are on today, so I'm almost at a decade, but, yeah, you know, uh, Sully wasn't available or whatever I was looking for at that time, so... Just tossed an A in there, added a couple Ys, and, and the rest is history. Um, in my mind, I'm hoping that it stays available. I may even create another account to, to preserve the name so no one else takes it. So that, you know, let's say at some point in my media career, 
I move away from a more newsy job and can go back to whatever I want it to be, I would certainly switch back. So, um, yeah, and if anyone listening is going to try and steal it and blackmail me, I'm not a fan of you. Quick question, too. I mean, you talked about a little bit of your Twitter history where you used to be a hater, and we've also talked about on this podcast uh, deleting tweets. Have you mm-hmm. gone back and deleted the tweets at me and Joe specifically? Um, where it, <laughs> yeah, was, it well, was a thing where once a month he would get on and just rail us for no reason. And it wasn't necessarily the cleanest language. I have gone back and deleted all of those. I've gone back and cleared my entire Twitter out um, to the best of my knowledge. I'm, it is still a concern. <laughs> I, you know, I was even debating making a new Twitter for this job, but I'm confident in my ability and my search history. So I think it should be clean. Yeah, you know. And it's a, it's a normal thing. I don't think, you know, we talk about this as well. We're the only generation that has to deal with this kind of digital footprint. Um, you know, can you imagine any of the last couple presidents having Twitter throughout their childhood? Uh, I can only imagine the things they would have tweeted out at 15 through 17 years old. Yeah, that'd be a little scary. Yeah. But we've seen on your Twitter that you have been out in the field uh, covering some you know, different activities, most notably, most recently at Kansas State, other college sports in lower divisions. Um, but you got some good content so far. And I think that brings us nicely into our next topic here is that the NCAA has actually announced uh, new policies regarding college basketball, um, including uh, players that can, ha- they can have agents and they can return to the draft if they, uh, or, I mean, return to school if they are undrafted. Um, what do you think of these new college moves? I mean, the college basketball has been having some issues here in the past two years with corruption and scandals and lots of other things, and these moves seem interesting. Um, for me, you know, as someone who has always loved and appreciated college basketball, even from game one of the season. <laughs> uh, that's just the biggest lie I've heard today so far. Now, now that I cover Kansas basketball, it's, it's a big truth, so... Um, no, but I, I'm, I'm going to be excited. I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm excited to hear you talking about Big 12 basketball on day one of the season because that, that'll make me happy because that's what I'm doing out here too. Even before doing season previews and stuff like that. So I know that will bring a smile to your face, Jess. But yeah, regarding these new rules, uh, I, w- I would classify it as a term that you, I think a lot of baseball players use and familiar with, and that is eyewash. Um, and that's just something that looks appealing maybe and it's like oh wow they're actually making a move but in reality it really does not do much or have any effect thinking about these new rules you know the players can't have agents but they're only elite players at big programs so in a sense like it's not really doing much to help the majority of athletes you know and and i don't think you know we kind of look at that scandal a lot of guys are getting paid that certainly may not even end up in the nba at this point It, it reaches much farther than the issue that they're addressing with this on top of that the ncaa hasn't even addressed transfer rules haven't addressed payment in any form it's you know it, it's trying to be proactive but necessarily i don't think it's going to do much in the wider terms of things it's just something that they can kind of put on their trophy shelf and said look we did this we did that when in reality it won't make too much of a difference yeah i agree in that sense where it's it, it's them trying to it, it's pr it's them saying hey look we're doing something you guys want this so bad you guys want players to be paid so bad and this is what we can do is what they're trying to say when in reality there's other things that they can do that will help more but they're just not ready to do that because they're not ready to give up that much money that they make using these student athletes so i i agree i think that i watch term is is good it, it, it's not much like i don't i don't know how much of a difference this is going to make just like you said the one that st- stands out to me is the college players allowed to go back to school if they go undrafted. I think that was a 
pretty good move uh, benefiting the kids. You know, if they, in the past, if they have left school to go to the draft and they don't get undrafted, that's like a big risk for them. And they can't really go back to school, finish their degree and, you know, pursue that option, at least in that moment. I mean, they can probably do it later at some other, at some other time, but allowing them to come right back to school and, uh, you know, take the risk without, you know, putting too much on the line, I think is good for them. So at least they're doing something, at least they're trying to do something. But yeah, as you guys said, it, remi it remains to be seen if these moves will actually have a real effect or if, you know, players, coaches, agents, all that, you know, under the radar stuff will still go on because it always has been for, you know, as long as college basketball has been there. Yeah, and I think, you know, even just like with the news that, let's just say like Bronny Jr. is going to Crossroads, that's something else that was breaking this week. I think the corruption in basketball reaches almost all the way down to the AAU level at this point when they're trying to get him so early. You know, that's been well documented. It's really almost just like, if you use another analogy, it's like, you know, a house is on fire and the NCAA just tossed one bucket of water on it. And they're like, look, we're, we're doing our best, you know, and when in reality, it's a much bigger issue. And there's just other things that they have to handle and other things that need to be corrected along with this. But I do agree with you that, Nick, you know, that is a risk always to go out and, and go for it. But um, it's still going to be a tough decision either way. I guess it is nice they can go back to school. Um, and it could be it, it could be a step in the right direction, you know, like where, you know, this is the first kind of domino to fall. Who knows where then we start getting used to this and, and they realize, oh, OK, well, this this can be done. And, you know, whereas, yeah, we'd rather just kind of dive in and, and take care of it all immediately um maybe it's just uh, ends up it happens eventually but this is the first way where we can achieve these players getting what they deserve yeah and, and i still think in the ncaa the regards to it i would like to see it set up similar to baseball um and football in the sense well not i think more like baseball because i would love to see that they can either go after uh, their high school, you know, their senior season. If they think they're ready, you can go for it. You know, that's your decision. Hopefully you have the correct mentors, which is a whole nother discussion. Um, and then the one thing I would like to say is like, if you go to college, you've got to play in the NCAA D1 for two years, which baseball it's three, but if you can go for two years, then you should be able to leave after that. Just so that you have some time where you can, you know, get invested. You have the ability to put yourself in a situation where you aren't just making a rash decision after one year. You know, and I really feel like it's almost just a semester because by spring, most of those guys are out of there already and just yeah. doing comp workouts and preparing for the draft. So it, it really just, it's silly to make them go to school for six months. Like it, it's not much of a difference. And it, again, just benefits the NCAA rather than benefiting the players. Yeah, it is funny to, to be in class with those guys. And then, you know, all of a sudden they're just not showing up anymore. Cause like, oh, well my season's over. And then it's literally, it's not even like, and it's no judgment at all. I get it. I would do the same thing. It's just like, well, what am I doing? I'm gone. Why, exactly. why don't you show up to class To sit in a, you know, uh, Algebra 2 class and wait for, you know, your draft status to get improved. Like, who's going to stay and do that? No one's going to sit around and do life sciences while they're waiting to get drafted and make, you know, a $2.1 million signing bonus because they're going to go in the top 10. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. But one thing I will say is that if I ever did get a $2.1 million signing bonus, the first place I would go would be Lucky Boy. Definitely. Lucky Boy, as you know, is a wonderful sponsor of Cautiously Optimistic, and we are happy to have them alongside on board for the ride with us. Actually, I had some college buddies come into town not too long ago, and they wanted to go to Lucky Boy because they have been listening to the podcast, and they were wondering what this place was, and I said, you know what? Of course I'll take you there. We went over there for a nice little brunch, got some burritos. You can put bacon, you can put sausage, you can put lots of different meats into those burritos, and we had a wonderful time sitting there on the patio, and they were 
overjoyed to experience the wonderful majesty that is Lucky Boy. And it's funny you say that too, because I have some family in town recently from Minnesota um, and from New Orleans, um, and of course, they're listeners. Uh, shout out to the fam, and they also went to Lucky Boy, uh, not even with me. It was it was interesting to see. Loved it. Um, I couldn't make it that time, but it's always good to see everybody going to Lucky Boy. And if you want, go ahead and do like my uncle Billy did, and mention cautiously optimistic there at the cash wrap. Who knows if they'll know what you're talking about, but we'll know, and they'll love to hear that from us. And what you can do if you don't necessarily want to have a bunch of food there, you can get it catered. You know what I'm saying? They do catering Monday through Sunday, 6.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Sunday. That's every day if you didn't know that. They deliver catering orders over $300. So if you got an empty stomach, get that $300 worth. You know what I'm saying? Get it catered. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the best way to get it catered it's just, you know, calling up a lucky boy or the lucky girl. You can always ask for Christina Karagias and she will help you out. And if you want to know more about her, check out episode 62 of the pod where you can find out all the details about Lucky Boy's origin and how they make those delicious burritos, burgers, gyros, and everything else. Well, in the past week, the trade deadline came and went, and I would not say that was uh, an uncontested debate for many Dodger fans. I think a lot of people wanted to see them get that extra reliever, even some people saying that they needed to get another starter. Just pitching in general was what they wanted, but the biggest move alongside the earlier Machado trade was, of course, getting Brian Dozier from the Twins, and some people would even argue that getting rid of Logan Forsyth was just as great in that deal. Um, I'm very excited, you know, as the whole family's from Minnesota, they all love uh, the bulldozer. And I, I think everyone saw in that first series, you know, starting off going something like eight for 16 at the plate, um, hitting a bomb against the Astros. It was a pretty ideal. Um, and as well, getting John Axford is a nice little piece to the pen. Someone who was a very elite closer a couple of years ago and still probably has some solid innings in him. So what do you guys think about those two moves and what the Dodgers did at the deadline? Dodger is a big, a big piece, and he's going to be able to help us outscore a lot of teams, even if we didn't get that top-notch middle reliever. Yeah, and I think just going off of that, I think the Dodgers' plan, which is pretty clear in this place now, is that once it comes to the postseason with the seven starters that they will have once Rio's back, is that, you know, I, we can imagine that Maeda and Stripling will both be in that pen. Um, I don't know who else they would really put, but it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck thing rather than, like, set roles, like I think a lot of people are used to seeing out of many teams. and. I think that works just as well. It worked for the Astros last year. You know, you look at them when they brought some of their starters in to throw later innings, whether it be three or four innings, not necessarily just like, like piece by piece by piece, kind of what the Yankees are trying to create. Um, it worked just as well. And I think, you know, you go back to Dozier, two years ago when he was an all-star and uh, it was on pace for that plus 40 home run season at the traded line, Dodger fans were begging people to get him. And the Twins wanted, you know, essentially probably was like a Walker Bueller or an Urias or another, you know, Willie Calhoun, whoever it may have been at that time. Um, and now we can just see clearly that we gave up Logan Forsythe and two mid-level prospects for him. And I don't think he would have been the difference last year in the World Series because it came down to pitching. So that's just a tip of the cap to the Dodgers front office. Um, so I know something that you guys definitely want to talk about. We kind of touched on the Astros, but... Uh, Andre Ethier, uh, the ceremony. What did you guys think about that? Sorry, I just want to say, your boy, 
Andre Ethier. Yeah, put some respect on his name, Sully. I know you never will because you're Andre hater for some reason, but Andre was a great Dodger. 12 years in Dodger blue, a lot of walk-off hits. Yeah, maybe his personality rubbed some people the wrong way, but I think most people liked him, especially the ladies here in LA. And, uh, you know, unfortunately they had to retire in the middle of the year when he wasn't signed and didn't really have a, you know, a farewell kind of tour. But I guess at the same time, he wasn't that good of a player to kind of deserve a farewell tour. But for Dodger fans, I think right, he's um, getting a farewell tour around the league, guys. Come on. I mean, well, I, no, I agree for, with you 100% on that. Like, the, there's no way Andre Ethier deserved a farewell tour. I guess my point was that it was kind of a bummer to see him have to kind of go out not exactly on his own terms because I think he still was kind of hanging around this year to see if anybody wanted to sign him and he just knew it wasn't going to come. But it was nice to see, in my opinion, that the Dodgers gave him respect before the game, a nice little ceremony, 15 minutes. The His former teammates like Matt Kemp and you know Kenley Jansen, Kershaw came out there and he even got some you know, like video messages. I saw one from Russell Martin um, in Toronto. So. Uh, I've always been an Andre fan, uh, despite what you may think, Sully. Former teammates that are still on the team that were already there in the building came out. That's nice. That was very kind of them to take the three minutes to go out and you know make their show their face in a stadium they were already inside. Yeah, I mean, so as, as I've had it well documented, like Ethier, the attitude wasn't great. One of my coaches had a pretty awful run-in with him when they were in college together at the same time. Um, I think you can show. You know, that personality that some people like and dislike, you know, just for example, in his speech when he was like, I feel like I could still be playing if Jacques hitting. And it's like, all right, dude, someone would have signed you at that point if that's true. But either way, yeah, it's hard to not acknowledge what he did. All the walk-off hits were pretty spectacular. He, you know, Captain Clutch, I believe, was the nickname. And he was so, uh, you know, he was that player for the Dodgers for a while, although those Dodger teams were not very good. I don't think they went to the playoffs more than one time in that 10-year span. He still did his thing, and that's hard to uh, argue against. Because you look at that line, it's a major league career that anyone would be happy to have. Um, And so, you know, yeah, I'll give him a tip of the cap there. You know, it's fun. I think he got the recognition he deserved having a day like that, Dre Day, whatever you want to call it. Um, And I think he does do a decent amount of good for the community, too. So that can be said. uh, That that goes a lot, for sure, in Los Angeles. I just want to correct you on one thing there, Sully. I know you, you're not, not a big Andre fan, but the Dodgers teams that he was on actually went to the playoffs at least seven times during that span. So you said one time. So just, you got to get that right there. Can we take a look at those stats? What do you mean seven times? And, and when did they ever get out of the divisional series or even win a game in the divisional series? Maybe once against the Cubs is all I'm thinking about. They did. Um, I'm just saying, I'm going to say throw this in there. They did get to the playoffs a good amount of times. Um, so that that is that. I'm just going to throw that out there. 06, 08, 09, 13, 14, 15, 16, and Andre is an RBI single in Game 7 of the World Series last year. So. 14, 15, 16, you really think that he was a major part of the team? Last year, obviously, he played very well in the, in the World Series, but, I mean, if you want to get in this debate, we can have it. I was just trying to give him a tip of the cap there, but you guys obviously had other plans. D- didn't sound like a tip of the cap to me. Uh, well, you are butthurt about that, so, I, I mean, I can't do anything about that. I also want to just a, a quick other note about the ceremony. I think the biggest thing for me was, um, you know, I, yeah, he des- I think he deserved that pregame ceremony. That was all fun and games. It was good good to see. Uh, what hurt more was seeing the, the Russell Martins, you know, and just seeing, like, it just took you back, you know, to those kind of days. And, and like you said, were those teams World Series teams? No. Were they playoff teams? Yes. But... It, it was a it was the childhood teams. It was the teams that we grew up watching, seeing Russell Martin and seeing James Loney's name thrown around there so much. The Lone Wolf, as I think only I called him, but um, you know Loney was one of my guys. Like I loved those teams and just those players. So it was it was tugging at the heartstrings there. 
Yeah, and I, uh, the last note about the Dodgers here, uh, or one of the last notes, Corey Seager, already after the year, is now having hip surgery. He seems to have a lot of physical issues this year, but I think the plan is he's still going to be okay for next year. But is there is there cause for concern here? Is this kind of a th- sign of things to come, or do you think they're just trying to get him right, fully healthy for next season? Um, I would say it's more in the lines of trying to get him right, get him healthy. I still think eventually a position change will come because he's so good at hitting, whether it be the third base, first base, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, that just makes sense for someone that talented. There have been very few shortstops in Major League history that haven't eventually made that switch. Um, you know, Machado is one of the rare exceptions that he kind of had to play third at the beginning of his career. Now he's back at short, but that's also he's not even there full time. Um, I mean, even like Cal Ripken eventually became a third baseman, and that had even had nothing to do with his health. It was just that was made more sense for someone that was aging. So this year is more so about getting him right. It'll be interesting this off season. It's not something I'm necessarily looking forward to because I think it's going to be a lot of tough decisions that well, I'm personally glad I don't have to make. Yeah, and one thing that uh, kind of cropped back up here, I know the Dodgers played the Braves a few weeks ago, um, and there was a whole incident with their announcer getting shook by the Dodgers not wearing like jerseys during batting practice and making fun of Chase Utley for not wearing like baseball pants during batting practice. And I know that happened a while ago, but again, this guy, Joe Simpsons is his name. He had another incident this week when he called out the Nationals 19 year old for not being 19 and just on the air said that guy's probably older than he looks. And so I don't know what's wrong with this guy. He seems kind of like one of those old school guys who's not really accepting of the new school mentality or just kind of where baseball is in 2018. But I thought we should call it out because I think when he kind of got upset with the Dodgers. That was one of the worst takes we've seen this year. And my favorite part about that was the shirt Utley was wearing was a, a shirt about strikeout cancer. And that's also a fun fact, the same shirt that Dylan Covey was wearing when we interviewed him in the Dodgers dugout. Like this is, you're ripping a dude for supporting great causes. Like it is absolutely absurd. Yeah, it was just a joke. Um, you know, the Dodger stuff is just I think you said it well, Nick, like a guy who just can't get with the new time is stuck in an old school. You know, he wants to see Chipper Jones out there and uh, Greg Maddox and, and John Smoltz pitching for the Braves, but that's not happening anytime soon. Obviously, the Braves are having a better season than a lot of people expected, but, you know, their team, you know, the Soto thing is even just kind of borderline racist, I would say, more so, you know, going to the point where it's like, oh, who knows how old these Dominican guys are, whatever it may be. That's just BS. You know, that's just something that, I don't know if it's jealousy, I don't know what it is, but it just shouldn't be in the league. If the MLB is trying to move in the direction that it seems they're trying to move in, they have no place for commentators like this. But uh, the MLB definitely has a place for Bartolo Colon, who we've talked about on this podcast many times, and we always give him the proper respect. I think another time is last night he became the most winningest and actually, winningest is a weird word, you guys. Do you think winningest is a weird word, by the way? It's yeah, a, I don't. I would say most wins among Latin American pitchers. Yeah, yeah, probably probably go with that one. Yeah. Yeah, I've always kind of thought that, but I wrote it here on the rundown just because that's kind of what is like accepted now. But I always thought winningest, if, if if it even is a word, I'm not even sure. But anyway, Bartolo, most wins among Latin American pitchers, 246. He caught the final out on a comebacker from D. Gordon, who, by the way, Bartolo has been kind of taking D. Gordon's lunch money this year, outrunning him to first base and catching his line drives to get his like record wins here. So Bartolo being Bartolo, got to love it. Shout out Big Sexy. Congratulations, my man. Yeah, he's just legendary. You know, There's no more of a someone who will be in the folklore of the MLB. You know, I can't wait to tell my children about Bartolo Colon. You know, I think 
My dad always talked about Greg Maddox, but this is who I will pass on to my kids as a, a shining emblem of what pitching should be. Yeah. And lastly, here in baseball, uh, actually, Sully, this is the, when you posted this on Twitter, it was the first time I saw it, but it was a wonderful ejection. First off, uh, this was sent to me by my friend Denard Sesma, uh, who played with this guy at Long Beach State. He was Ooh. their starting center fielder. And so, uh, you know, the best part of it is that not only does he get a trash can, he doesn't walk it, he, he shows some good hustle, he jogs it out there. You know, I, I think most people when they watch that video, they're thinking, oh, here comes a trash dump. No, much better. Slams it in the umpire's position, you know, near the batter's box. And then as you, you can really, if you listen to the video closely, you can hear him yell, go to your home, a la, you know, uh, Happy Gilmore, which just is the uh, cherry on the Sunday there. And I, I just love every piece of that. I don't think that guy probably is making the money uh, to afford a fine that is probably coming for that and the suspension, but uh, us on social media are here for it, for sure. Yeah, he is absolutely a hero. Um, you love innovation when it comes to pretty much anything, but innovation in ejections, uh, you gotta appreciate, and that's definitely a new one. I hope to see that one come up in the big sometime. And I feel like we haven't seen that many creative ejections lately. I know during the early 2000s, that was kind of like the, the heyday for those ejections. One of my personal favorites was the umpire crawling along and then throwing their grenade to home plate. That's a classic. Um, but yeah, this is a player doing it. You don't really see that out of players because, you know, like you said, Sully, they don't really, especially in the minor leagues, have the funds to kind of handle those suspensions or fines. Uh, but so good for this guy to kind of bring that back. Um, I'm, yeah, as you said, we are big fans of all kinds of creative ejections. Yeah, and it's wild to think, I think the league has been missing Lou Pinella, sweet Lou, for those of you that know him well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was a former manager for a variety of teams in MLB, and he was just known for blowing up on umpires, tossing his hat, even leaving with bases because he was so upset. I remember one time when he took out third base and left because he'd been ejected. Um, and that is the kind of stuff that I love to see, just good old-fashioned. Uh, he's screaming and kicking dirt on the umpire's shoes. It doesn't get much better than that. If you're going to get tossed, as I said in my tweet, you might as well get your money's worth. You're not going to come back in the game. And an injection's never been overturned, as far as I know. So, make <laughs> the most of it at that time. Moving over to the NBA, it's officially the dog days of summer. Free agency is over. Not a whole lot going on, except that part of the schedule for next season has been released. The Lakers will be opening up their season in the Pacific Northwest against the Trailblazers, which should be a good matchup. And their home opener will be against Houston, Carmelo, and the Rockets at Staples Center. Melo is officially decided to go to the Rockets, who saw their playoff odds I believe drop when he arrived which makes sense because and this goes to a whole other discussion about how we feel about Melo which maybe you've seen us arguing on Twitter about that but what do you guys think of the schedule so far and these early uh, reveals the the worst part about the schedule is like you know obviously Lakers are going to play on Christmas but the Lakers have not played a road game on Christmas since 2006 this is a road game I don't like that it just makes sense. Lakers got to be at home in the Sunday whites, even if it's not a Sunday. The Christmas whites then at that point. Um, it, it does it, And the new white jerseys are incredible. So why are we not playing at home? I'm pretty butthurt about it if we're going to keep it honest. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it is what it is. At least they're within California. They're going to be in the same time zone. But I agree with you. It's a nice treat for – I can't imagine anyone in the NBA likes to be in the cold if you look at the last couple of Christmases in Los Angeles, it's been like in the 70s. So 
I would pretty much just always keep the game there. As far as Houston, you know, I was looking at this, like these first games released, and I was like, man, they're just stacking it on the Lakers to begin with. Then I kind of thought more about it, and I was like, well, there aren't many breaks you get in the West either way, so you might as well just get it started off the bat. Um, and they're going to be good games. You know, I'm excited. It's it's going to be the LeBron era, and I think that'll make a huge difference, obviously, as everyone has documented very, very thoroughly. Um, but it's good to have those tests. You know, they're not going to play a team that's kind of just going to roll over. They're, obviously, these teams have listened to the same offseason reports that we have and have heard all about LeBron and all about these new-look Lakers. And uh, Portland specifically, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of Twitter's kind of, you know, now turning on CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard because they keep quote-tweeting everything and being upset about whatever is going on or not getting respect or sending messages to each other. It's like, dude, y'all got swept in the first round last season to a team that you guys probably were so, – well, you're definitely supposed to beat um, – so maybe do a little more on the court before worrying about what's going on in the Twitter world, you know? Yeah, especially you saw the whole Kevin Durant, CJ McCollum beef because of what Kevin Durant, I guess, assumed thought was a dig at CJ McCollum after Durant appeared on his podcast and McCollum kind of called him out and then Durant wasn't happy about that. I don't know what you guys think about that. I thought, you know, KD had a point. It's like you are supposed to be homies on the podcast and you go kind of behind his back and kind of insult his decision making when he went to the Warriors I thought that was kind of shady by CJ and as you said so they have been not the best uh, on social media lately especially after getting swept I want to go back Jesse quickly to the Sunday home whites uh, Sunday Christmas game against the uh, Warriors in Golden State you know I'm a guy who thinks that the jerseys nowadays can are so out of whack that they can wear it whenever they want. So you know what? You're probably going to get the home whites on Sunday on the road, and the Warriors are going to wear whatever they want to wear because jersey sanctity is no longer a thing in the NBA, unfortunately. But the Lakers did get a whole bunch of new jerseys. Uh, I'm not sure. Are they going to wear those every game or as the select, select games? First of all, get off your own lawn. Um, relax. Uh, and even if they even if they do wear the whites and say uh, Golden State wears yellow, that's only that's half of it. You want to see the Lakers home court on Christmas. That's just what it is. That's how it is. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how it's been the last 12 years. Why are we changing? Get off your own lawn with the jerseys. The new jerseys are great. Um, and I think they're everyday ones. I'm pretty sure those are the, the everydays, which is nice to see. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I, I do like the jerseys. Um, again, I just hope that they... Don't go crazy with them. Wear purples at home and yellows on the road and all that. I, I think... Well, they're going to wear yellows on the road. I can guarantee that. Well, I'm very disappointed, but I do like the jerseys. I will say that. Yeah, I don't get why you're so upset about this. Uh, you know, you, you... We just had a conversation in baseball about breaking those types of traditions with the Braves, uh, you know, broadcaster. Now you're getting all worked up about wearing specific colors in specific places. It doesn't matter at all. I mean, let them play basketball. That's what matters. And these new jerseys are fantastic. I believe they should be the everyday, day-to-day. And I think that's the plan. There's no reason. So I've made a couple of retro nights or whatever may go on to change it up at all. They are fantastic. They're fire. Anywhere you want to just describe them positively, please do so. And that's where we should leave it. And I also want to take it back to uh, the CJ story with uh, KD. I don't think that he necessarily went behind his back because on the podcast, he literally just was saying, I'm not happy about what you did. He told him to his face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then someone asked him something on Twitter and he responded, whatever. I I also don't mind what KD did. I think the I just did your FM podcast is hilarious. Um, and I'm just happy he's not using a burner this time. 
Yeah, I mean, you never know what the comments look like. We couldn't tell you who is who, but yeah, I, I, I would imagine that they're not going to have a second episode together. I'll say that. <laughs> and now it's time for the fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. And today we're actually going to pass it over to Sully over in Kansas to open up our fast food flavor for this week. Yeah, so, you know, there are a couple of restaurants I haven't uh, got to yet out here that are, you know, they vary regionally for fast food. But a couple things I just want to note on, you know, Jesse and I, uh, throughout high school, uh, a couple times, probably not that many, but definitely a few, along with Friend of the Pod, Joe, would make a 45-minute drive out to Duarte to go to a Sonics. And we always talked about how we were so upset that there weren't Sonics more, uh, I guess there weren't more locations around Los Angeles within the region. So I'm just happy to say, as I just moved in my new apartment today, Jesse, I live one block from a Sonics and a half block from a DQ. So I just think that would make you happy. That is um, one of the things about the Midwest that they do have on us Southern Californians is the, the presence of DQs and the presence of Sonic, you know? I think Sonic is an incredible, incredible piece. Sonic, and this is, uh, I don't think it's a hot take, Sonic has the best drinks in the fast food game, and it's not close. The variety is incredible, uh, the taste, delicious. Um, I am very jealous, and I think Sonic is, when, as you said, we would make that tough drive because we had to get some Sonic every once in a while. Yeah, it's a wild thing. I think you're right on there with the drinks too. Uh, you know, they have great happy hour prices as well, which I'm, I'm now learning. Um, and, you know, the one disappointing thing was, you know, when we went to Endorty, I think it was always fun because the uh, waitresses and waiters came out on rollerblades. Yes. And I was expecting that here, but that obviously doesn't happen because there's so many of them. It would just kind of be silly. Uh, but the nice drive up to the window, take your time to decide, press the button. They got a really good system that I don't think enough people mimic. I do believe that they all, I could be wrong on this, but I believe they're all supposed to do the roller skates. Um, and it was especially interesting with the Duarte one because we, we would go when it just opened. We didn't have one and then they opened in Duarte and, you know, so we were getting all the newbies. Um, you know, when you when you go down um, like off of a curb and it goes down, it has that like yellow grate, right? You know what I'm saying? It has the bumps all over it. They had those. So these these people are on roller skates and these are probably people that haven't roller skated very often um, are going down and then they're going down these grates. I saw multiple people fall. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. That's, that's great to hear, Sully. And I'm glad you mentioned the Duarte Sonic because I actually recently, I believe last week or two weeks ago, got a Facebook you know, time hop back to 2012 where I checked myself in to that exact Sonic in Duarte because that was the last time I was there. I know it's been six years, unfortunately, but um, I do appreciate that specific Duarte that you guys mentioned, so that's good to hear. And Sully, uh, are there any other fast food places out in Kansas so far, in your short time out there so far, that you've noticed that maybe are native to Kansas that you haven't tried yet? Yes, there are definitely a few. You know, I've been doing my research, doing my due diligence, um, obviously, I, I know I discussed a little bit about Taco John's and all that stuff. There are Taco John's here, which almost more is like an insulting type thing. I don't love Taco John's, um, but it is. There are two burger places that I haven't tried yet. One is called Schlotzky's. Um, I don't know what that is or why they came to that name. Um, there is also a Steak and Shake in here, so I'm going to mm. have to try that. Um, and then there's one other place, the name is escaping me right now, I'm trying to look it up, but 
I'll have to get back to you on it. it it's it's called like it's like a burger place. They refer to them as steak burgers. So they, I definitely got some things to try. Um, also, just a note out here in the Midwest, it seems that the uh, you know there is not really a battle in Los Angeles between Chipotle and Cadoba, but out here Cadoba is winning the battle, and they have more locations, and people seem to prefer it. And I'm just going to go out and say it. I think I prefer it at this point. I don't, you know, being somewhere where they have real no Mexican food at this point, that's kind of the closest I get, I guess, besides like Taco Bell or whatever, maybe. But uh, Cadoba over Chipotle, mark it down, uh, put it in your in your notebook. That's where I stand on this issue. That's interesting. I've actually heard that many times from people is that we don't have enough Cadobas out here and that Cadoba is better than Chipotle. Um, while I have only had it a couple of times, I necessarily can't agree. I'm still on the Chipotle train, but I'm definitely open to going to more and, and having it a little more um, because I've heard good things and I've heard a lot of people say it is better. What are the prices like at Cadoba? They're very on par with Chipotle, maybe even within the sense. The thing that really sets it apart is they have multiple different styles of queso, which is big. They have this corn salsa, which I love. And it's not really salsa, it's honestly just like corn and a couple of their vegetables, which I get every time. And then they also have more variety. You know, they have the tacos, obviously, but they have pre-made tacos that you can kind of do, you can pick from if you don't want to. Those are a little pricier, which is the difference. Um, on top of that, they have like a salad bowl, which is more like a tostada bowl. So, you know, you don't want to get too healthy when you're eating food like this. True. And that's what that does for you. And also, you know, something I haven't tried yet, but I think it would be very good is you can get a burrito and just get the queso right in it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you can do that at Chipotle now, but I think if you're going to go queso, Cadoba is a place to go. So they just have a wider variety of things. Um, they have more salsas. Salsa is probably the one complaint I have. It's not as good as Chipotle's, but I don't really use it too much either way. I just get the Verde and then I slather that baby in Tapatio either way. Um, so there are pros and cons to it. I just think it has a slight edge. And, and I don't want to knock Chipotle, um, besides maybe how you feel the next day. Uh, and that is another common complaint, but you don't really get that with Cadoba as much. And I have heard bad things about the Chipotle queso, so it's good to hear that you know Cadoba has multiple quesos and you can kind of switch it up. Whereas the Chipotle queso, a they only have one, and b I've heard it's not good. Yeah, so I, I think Cadoba, you know, obviously that was a direct thing that Chipotle tried to do because that was really the biggest knock they had on them. And to hear that they're not even doing it well. Um, is the other thing. The one thing, you know, people make a big deal about the guac at Chipotle and how it's extra and whatever. It is extra at Cadoba, you know, you get that little charge, but it's not as bad as guac is at Chipotle. Yeah, and you know, we all know the queso capital of uh, the country is uh, Texas, I believe. So you're closer to that place. So I believe the queso out in Kansas should be better than they're, what they're trying to sling out here in California. So uh, that's good for that's good for that. And I know we have some big news, but we're probably going to save it for later, uh, a later podcast on the fast food flavor segment to kind of drum up the enthusiasm, a little tease, if you will. Yeah, we're gonna. We talked about it last week. Um, that terrible uh, top ten or top twenty list of Taco Bell items all time that complex put out um your boy the drive-thru guru i'm working on a top 10 maybe 15 uh for all time taco bell items and this is the definitive list this is the correct list this is the list you need to be going to it's coming soon and that has been the fast food flavor
And we have reached the end of the show where it's time for our super hot, interesting takes and shout outs. We have a full slate of all of those things for you today. And let's go and toss it over to Sully for his shout out from Kansas. Yeah, you know, I just want to shout out. I was, I was moving in today. Um, it is it's so hot out here and just it is humid more so than anything. So I just like to shout out uh, California because I miss it so much. The dry air, the food, everything. Uh, it is the best state in the United States, and probably you know if you want if you want to go regionally throughout the world, I would put it in the top one of one. I miss it as well. You guys are in there, so that's not bad either. But yeah, just shout out California. I like that shout out, Sully, because I was just on the East Coast this past weekend for a wedding, and I can agree the uh, humidity pretty much in any other place in the country is pretty bad compared to California. You don't miss that dry air until you leave it. Although the temperatures have been hot here, it's nothing compared to the hot temperatures plus humidity. So I think we can all agree that California you know, is the best state in the union. Could probably be its own country, but we need to get into that. Um, and my shout outs, uh, first of all, another shout out here to Sully, you know, congratulations again on the new yes. job. It's another great opportunity, just making moves around the country, um, now in the heartland and doing some big things already, so we are very proud of you to have uh, KSNT on Cautiously Optimistic, a little uh, duo there that I think will be very good for many years to come. And my other shout out is one um, former colleague at the Outlook newspaper, her name is Miriam Swanson. She has just left the Outlook after five years to go write about the NBA for the Southern California News Group jumping away from you know nonprofits and elementary schools to cover the Clippers. Although she is a Laker fan, um, we can still respect the move because it's always fun to write about basketball. So congratulations to Miriam. Yes, congrats to Miriam. Yeah, I've seen her many times on Twitter replying and liking, so that was good. Also, Nick, just another shout out to Double Down. I know you have some news coming too. I don't want to tease it too much, but we'll do a light shout out to you as well with more shout outs to come. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, more to come on that, but we will, uh, update you probably in the next week or two regarding that move so big news big things for uh, multiple members of the podcast mysterious shout out to nick right there i like it <laughs> and then i'm gonna go ahead and give a shout out to my new favorite non-trojan football player college football player jackson dylan plays for memphis um rocking the mullet strong uh you gotta love to see it um he's he's talking about it in a way that um, inspired me to get my mullet when I first heard Jared Allen talk about his. Um, when you have that passion for a mullet, all that tells me is you're an incredible football player. So shout out Jackson Dillon, rocking the mullet. And I also have a little bit of a take here. Um, I, I think it's kind of a hot take because just judging off what I've seen on Twitter, but four albums released this last Friday. We had Iggy Azalea, YG, Mac Miller, and Travis Scott, all released albums. And you know what? The best album of the three was it. Uh, no, sorry, I couldn't do that. Um, no, the best album of the four is YG. Um, and maybe I'm a little biased, uh, LA boy, um, but I think that YG really came with it this project um, on some real, real LA gang hip hop. And I love to see it. You know, it was better than his last album, in my opinion. Um, still not still crazy, but. Very, very good album. YG held his own. I think it was better than Travis Scott's, which I think is getting overhyped. There's some great songs on the Travis album. Matt Miller is up there, too. I think Travis Scott is maybe a secondary hot take. Travis Scott had the worst of the top three. I'm not going to include Iggy in this anymore. Um, Travis Scott had the worst of three. I think Matt Miller's was also better than Travis Scott. Not to say the Travis Scott album was bad, but of the three, I go YG, Matt Miller, 
Travis Scott. I'm right there with you because I actually had meant to, to bring this up too. I think that is the correct ranking because YG definitely had the best. Um, Max, I think, and YG is different because they're on complete different wavelengths yeah. as far as meeting tone, you know? Max, obviously, it has a lot to do with the whole Ariana Grande situation and all that stuff and his DUI and where he's at in life. Uh, whereas YG pretty much puts out those consistent YG type albums. But this one, I think, uh, from Big Bank down to you know a variety of other songs is 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 very good. Um, and yeah, Travis, I just don't. I people are just so excited about it, and I do like a good amount of the songs. Um, but I just don't think it the hype that people are making it out to be. I don't understand how it lives up to that. You know, there was a dude I saw on Twitter. And it was it was the hottest take I've ever seen. It was ridiculous. He said that Astro World was the best rap album since My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and that was the most absurd thing I've seen in a long, long time. But um, there's like Sicko Mode is good. The, the track with the Weekend is good. There's there's definitely some tracks on there. I don't want to disrespect the Astro World album because I think it's good. It's just not as good as the other two. Whereas a lot thing, I think a lot of people would disagree with us there. Yeah, I mean. He has people that really ride for him harder than anyone else sometimes. Um, so do YG and Matt, but people just got so worked up for that. And then you add in the kind of Kardashian-Jenner effect that he's now created after marrying into that family. Or Are they married? Or- I don't even yeah. think they're married. I don't even think they're engaged. They just have the kid. They just have the kid. So related in a certain sense, Yeah, that is just unfortunately gets you more attention and uh, probably from undeserved sources for sure. And a quick extra shout out that I just thought of because you brought up the Kardashians. Um, we have someone who broke the curse, you know, and that's Tyga. He came out to the LA leakers, dropped a freestyle. And in the first little part of the freestyle, he dropped the line, I broke the curse, which a lot of people are running with. And it was fun to watch that happen. Tyga may have broke the curse. He's got two really, really hot songs out right now and an incredible freestyle to YG's Big Bank. So go check that out as well on YouTube. Yeah, I don't know if I can get on the Tiger bandwagon ever again, but I, that is funny to think about, I guess. The album's hot, I can tell you that. I will, will not be listening, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> and everyone else <laughs> listening should also take a word to go get some Lucky Boy. As of recording right now, it is 12.26 p.m. That sounds like lunchtime to me. <laughs> so if, you were, if I were you and if you were me, we should all go to Lucky Boy, get a burrito, get whatever food you want because they are a great place, a great food establishment. So go ahead and uh, do that. But for now, that's been episode 75 of Cautiously Optimistic. A big little milestone there. I said big and little right after another. That doesn't make any sense, but it's a big milestone. I think you also missed a chance for a great rhyme there. You say, if I were you, if you were me, and you kind of set it on a beat and then you just abandoned it. Yeah. And I was a little disappointed by that, if we're going to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, Miss California, Miss Lucky Boy, as you said, it is lunchtime over here as well, the later end of lunchtime. So, may have to go get some Sonics, but thanks for listening. Follow us on SoundCloud, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, all that good stuff. Remember to follow us on Zanga, any other, you know, if we had a WordPress still, we mm. could do that. Whatever you want to think about, we may have. Go follow us there. Niggas know I broke the curse How I feel when the rose is reversed Nigga got it out the dirt Bad bitches round, I'm a flirt And I'm going for my eighth like Kerr Do you concur? Catch me if you can, low perp I go Kyrie Curry on the verse Ball like a nerf, meet me on the turf I don't mean for real group But these niggas nerds Full of that serve, you will get served My niggas make you hide your face like her And I like her, titties and furs Big green phantom, got them hooked Larry Bird Give them the f-